We're in Revelation chapter 12. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. On Wednesday nights, we're looking at in-depth a few verses of our weekend text. So on the weekend, we're going through the book of Revelation. We're in Revelation chapter 12. So tonight, we'll be looking at verses 7 through 9. Revelation 12, 7 through 9. Let's read our two verses, and then we'll pray together. This is Revelation 12, verse 7. And the war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon who was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world... He was cast down to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So let's pray together. Father, tonight as we wrestle with a a tough question of of what's Satan doing in heaven, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us of your goodness, encourage us of your faithfulness, even at times when we don't see your plan. So Lord, we invite you into our study. We ask that you would bless it, that you would minister to our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's this question as we're seeing this scene play out in Revelation where a great war happens. Michael and his angels are are fighting with the dragon and the fallen angels, the demons. And Michael wins and Satan is cast down, no longer able to be in heaven. It provokes this question in our minds is what was... Satan doing in heaven. We don't have a lot of details here. Is Satan able to come and go from the throne room of God, or was just with this one moment in time that he was able to be at the throne room of God? But we do know from Job chapter 1 that Satan is at the throne room of God having a conversation with uh, the Father. So this touches on a deeper topic, and I want to just share with you as we get in this tonight is we may not be able to wrap this all up in a nice Christmas package with a bow on it. I may not be able to to tie it all together for you, but I do think there's some encouragement for us as we wrestle with who is Satan? Why is he allowed to exist? Why is there, there evil? And what is God doing in the midst of this? So, so first, Let's look a little bit about the background of of Satan. Here in these verses, we see that he's a serpent of old. We see he's the devil. He's Satan. He deceives the whole world. But in Isaiah chapter 14, if you want to turn there with me, we see how Satan fell. So we're going to be looking at several different sections of Scripture tonight. We're going to start with looking at how Satan fell. If you're taking notes, there's going to be three main thoughts, main points. And the first is this, is that Satan was given the opportunity to choose. Satan was given the opportunity to choose. And we see that in Isaiah 14. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nation. Lucifer, meaning morning star or star of the dawn, How he fell. He fell quickly, and he weakened the nations. 
So when Satan fell, he weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, this is where Satan went wrong. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. Satan in his heart wanted to exalt himself above the other angels. The stars of God refers to angels. We, we see that in several places of scripture. So he wasn't content with what the Lord had given to him. He wanted more. He wanted to be exalted above all of the other stars. He wanted to sit on the mount of the congregation. He wanted prominence. Goes on in verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the grounds. I will be like the most high. Angels are not like God. They're messengers of God. They're created beings of God, but they're not God. And he's, he's saying, I want to be like God. He wants the glory of God. He wants the place of God. Yet you shall be brought down to Shiloh to the lowest parts of the pit. And that's exactly what happened to Satan. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? So when people see Satan, they're going to go, really? This is the guy that caused so much trouble? This is the guy that, that shook nations? I thought he was much more fierce than this. Who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners. Satan bringing destruction as Jesus declared to us that he comes to kill and steal and to destroy. When he gets someone captive, he doesn't let them loose. Jesus lets them loose. Jesus sets them captive, but Satan is not going to do that. In Luke 10, 18, Jesus said, And I say, saw to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So when we look at this idea of Satan and why God allows there to be Satan and there to be evil— First, God created angels with the ability to choose. They have the ability to love God or to not love God. God, because he wants a, a genuine relationship with the angels and with us, he gave the angels the ability to choose. If God wanted to when he created the angels, they could have no opportunity to choose. They could be robots where they're programmed to do everything that God tells them to do. But, but ain't, Lucifer's got a choice. The angels have a choice. And Lucifer chooses sin. He chooses pride. He, he chooses to exalt himself. But it's in God's heart of love, it's in God's benevolence that he gave the angels the ability to choose. So the angels that are serving faithfully, we have to assume they're choosing to do so. They're choosing to worship God. They're, they're choosing to follow the things that the Lord has, has asked them to do. Well, this then ties into Adam and Eve a little bit. So turn with me from Isaiah 14 to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, it brings us to our, our second point. And we've been given the opportunity to choose. Not just Satan having the opportunity to choose, but God has given us the opportunity to choose. So this is Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, which is Satan, was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree 
of the garden, getting her to question the word of God, to doubt the word of God. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it nor touch it lest you die. She added the, you shall not touch it. God said, you shall not eat it. The serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God says you're going to die. No, God, God didn't really say that. What God's saying is if you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to be like God. God's, God's holding out something from you and you're going to know good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. The eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. God creates Adam and Eve, places them in the garden, and once again, he could have left out the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When Adam is created, Satan's already present. When Eve is created, Satan's already present. So the fall of Lucifer has already happened. It's already taken place. With the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve don't have a sinful nature. They weren't born with a sinful nature. They're the first that were ever created, but there is the presence of Satan in the Garden of Eden, which is kind of odd, right? You would think the Garden of Eden wouldn't have any evil present, but Satan's there. He's already fallen. God knew that he would fall, but he still gave Lucifer the opportunity to choose. Adam and Eve have the opportunity to choose between obedience and disobedience. Are they going to obey God and not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God puts it right there in the center. Satan is present to, to be able to tempt them, and with there being a choice, gives them an opportunity to, to love God or not. So God creates the angels with a choice, but he also creates Adam and Eve with a choice. Without there being an option to disobey, without there being a, an option to choose evil, there's really not an option to obey. There's really not an option to, to do good. When I met Amber in 2000, if I'm the only guy in the planet, what kind of choice is that for her, right? If I somehow tried to force her to marry me, what kind of marriage would that be? Marriage is a choice. Hopefully you, you willingly chose to be married, People sometimes will come and, and ask, you know, should, should I marry this person or should I marry that person? And I'm like, this is the most adult decision you're ever going to make. You're going to live with this decision. Your parents aren't going to. No one else is going to. Do you want to marry this person? Do you think this is what God, God has for you? You've, you've got to choose in this. And God loves us. He made a choice in that. He, he chose to, to love us. He chose to create us. He chose to, to give us his son. But he also gives us opportunity to choose. And with this opportunity to choose, there is the presence of evil. 
And this is how evil plays, plays into it, is God doesn't create evil, but he allows evil to exist to give us the opportunity to decide whether we're going to follow God or not. So let's delve into this a little bit more and get into the book of Job. Of why is Satan allowed to come into heaven? Why is Satan allowed to accuse us day and night? That's what we see in Revelation chapter 12. That Satan is in heaven accusing the brethren day and night. Well, why is he allowed to do that? Here's our third point, and it's going to take some time to develop. Is God's strength rises above Satan's attack. God's strength rides, rises above Satan's attack. We're going to see this in three people's lives in the scripture. First with Job, then with Peter, and then with Paul. All three of them went under Satan's attack, under Satan's accusation. And the end of it, Satan didn't have the final word. God had the final word and strengthened them. And strengthened them beyond Satan's attacks. So this is Job chapter 1. Let's pick it up in verse 6. The first five verses talk about the character of Job. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So he's allowed to, to come before God's presence. Now notice this. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro the earth and from walking back and forth on it. I've been visiting the earth. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? God brings up Job. God says, Have you considered the character and the heart and the love that Job has for me? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. Well, the only reason that Job fears you, worships you, follows you, is you've put this hedge of protection around him. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. If you remove your protection, he's going to curse you. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. God sets the parameters. Satan exists. Satan is allowed to exist because Satan had a choice whether to love God or to walk in disobedience. But Satan's existence doesn't trump God's sovereignty. It doesn't trump God's power. God sets the limits here. You can touch all that he has, but don't touch his person. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Maybe for Thanksgiving. Who knows? A messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabines raided them and took them away, Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. 
While he was still speaking, another also came. The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was speaking, another also came and said, The Sabine, the Chaldeans, formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away. Yes, he killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So his possessions just getting wiped out. And Satan's behind this. Satan's attacking. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. This is the biggest loss. He loses all of his children. It's possible he had grandchildren. We know that the oldest is old enough to have, have his own home. It's possible there was grandchildren as well. This is how Job responds. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and fell to the ground, and worshipped, and said, Naked I've come from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God's the one who gave. God also has the right to take away. In all of this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. So here's the initial attack that comes upon Job. As we continue in the story, eventually Satan has permission to mess with his health, and, and Job has all of these boils that come on him, has some friends that come to visit him, and the friends initially listen. They don't say anything. They just listen. They weep with Job. They should have never opened their mouth. Because as we continue to read, it's a long dialogue between Job and his friends. Job's friends really join the choir of accusation against Job. Satan's the accuser of the brethren, and this is what the friends are saying to Job. The reason this trial has happened in your life is because of some kind of wickedness or sin in your life. And they're really falling right in step with the ministry of Satan, if you would, the wickedness of Satan to, to bring accusation. But it's not the end of the story. What I want you to see in this is God allows this attack, God allows this opposition from Satan in Job's life, but ultimately God's going to strengthen Job through it. And this is difficult for us. We go, God, why would you allow there to be Satan? Why, why would you allow Satan to attack believers? Well, God's using this, this opposition to strengthen Job. When our kids took uh, swim, swim lessons, had a good swim teacher and swim instructor, and one swim instructor, he had just gotten out of the Coast Guard, and in one of the pools, they could create current. They could create opposition. And the kids would have to swim against uh, the current. And it made them much stronger swimmers because they're, they're swimming against the, the curtain, current. And somehow God in his wisdom allows for Satan ex to exist, allows for, for evil to exist, allows for the attack of the enemy because he's strengthening us. And that doesn't make any sense to us, but God could kick Satan out of heaven now. He could do Satan in right now. That would be awesome, right? No longer having that opposition, but God uses it 
in our lives. So let's go to the end of the book of Job and look at chapter 38. After all of this discussion with Job and his friends, God speaks. And God reveals himself to Job in Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Job is in a whirlwind. If you've been in a time of trial, it just feels like a whirlwind. And God speaks. Who is the one who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Woo! Oh, man. Here they've been questioning God. And God's like, now I'm going to question you. So when we think of God, how could you allow Satan to be in heaven? How could you allow Satan to to attack? I think there's a little element where God says, you know, I'm God, you're not. I've set up the way the world works, and and you're not in charge. And that's really the message to to Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Oh, I guess I wasn't there. I I wasn't there when you laid the foundations of the earth. Tell me if you have understanding— Who determined its measurements? Surely you? Or who stretched out the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstones? When the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds in its garment and the thick darkness its swaddling band, when I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors, when I said, this far you may come, but no further, and here your proud waves must stop. God's setting borders and limits and boundaries on the ocean. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Do you cause the sun to rise? And you can read this on your own. There's just all these questions from God. Where were you? Where were you? And, and God's really putting us in our place. Go to Job 40 and look at verse 1. We're going to look at a few more verses here at the end of Job. Moreover, the Lord answered and said, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer. Sit in that for a little bit. Are we going to rebuke God? Are we going to correct God? Are we going to try to set him straight on why he allows Satan to attack? In verse 3, Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no, no further. Job's like, I get it. God, I'm listening to you. God, I'm I'm ready to accept that you're in control. And there's a part of this discussion with evil and with Satan and and why God allows Satan to accuse and to attack where we go, Lord, I don't understand. If I'm Job, I don't understand. Lord, why did you allow all my kids to die? Why did you allow all my possessions to be taken? Why Why did I lose my health? But look at chapter 42. Verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything 
and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. God, nothing's impossible for you, and your purposes are accomplished. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've uttered what I do not understand. Can I get an amen? We, we utter things we don't understand, things too wonderful for me, which I didn't know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes have seen you. Underline that. Job was walking with the Lord in such an incredible way. But through this adversity, through this allowed attack by the enemy, he says, God, I've heard you. I've heard of you up until this point, but now I've seen you. Lord, now I I experience you. And that's so true in our lives when it comes to adversity. God allows adversity, however that all works, where, where Satan comes and accuses and attacks, and God says, here's the limits, here's the boundaries, and go ahead, you can, you can allow this trial, you can, you can come against this and that. And then God's bigger than that attack of Satan. And Job is strengthened, and he sees God in a greater way. If you read the rest of the chapter, Job prays for his friend, and God restores to him everything that he was lost. He goes on to have children, and lives many more years from this trial. We're encouraged in the book of James to look at the endurance of Job. Not that everything in this life turns around, but there's the promise in eternal life. The blessing comes in eternal life. So we see clearly in Job's life, Satan attacked, but God strengthened, and Job had a greater knowledge of God through that experience. Now let's look at Peter's experience. Go with me to Luke 22, verse 31. The Gospel of Luke. Luke 22, verse 31. The language here is really interesting. This is Luke 22, verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Simon is a Peter's name before God changed his name. Simon means shifting sand. Peter means rock. So his given name was Simon. And here, Jesus brings up that given name because Peter's going to be like shifting sand. And Satan is asking for Peter and asking to sift him like wheat to bring destruction in Peter's life. So here we have Christ about ready to be crucified. Peter's going to deny the Lord. But behind the scenes, and maybe in the forefront, we just don't realize it, Satan's attacking. And Satan's attacking Peter. And Satan wants to see Peter destroyed. And Jesus acknowledges that Satan is attacking, much in the way that Satan attacked Job. But hear this. This is where God is stronger than the attack of Satan. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Who won out, Satan or Jesus? Jesus. Jesus is praying for Peter in the midst of his trial, in the midst of his persecution. He had Peter on his heart and mind. Jesus went and died for Peter's sin, for Peter's denial, for Peter's failure, and rose again, came and restored Peter on the Sea of Galilee, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Peter's fishing all night. Jesus called him out of fishing 
And here's Jesus saying, cast your net on the other side. John goes, this has got to be the Lord. Peter swims in and has this conversation with Jesus, and Jesus restores him. And what was Peter's mission after being restored? I want you to go feed my lambs. I want you to go love people the way I've loved you with unconditional love. Strengthen your brethren. Satan was allowed to attack. Peter failed, but God was stronger to the point where Jesus went and died for his sin and rose again. And we have a faithful intercessor. So yes, God allows Satan to attack, but Jesus is there to intercede for us. Remember what we studied in Revelation 12 over the weekend, that the way we overcome Satan is through the blood of the Lamb? When the accusation of the enemy goes before the Father, Jesus is there praying for us, interceding for us on our behalf, saying, no, he's mine, he's forgiven, I've died for him. So the strength of God trumps the attack of Satan. Verses 33 and 34, but he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you knew me. So same principle, Satan attacks, but God is stronger. What we see in Job's life, we see in Peter's life. But let's also look at Paul's life. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's look at verse 7 through verse 10. You guys with me? Trying to answer this question of why is Satan allowed in heaven? Why is Satan allowed to attack and accuse? God's stronger than Satan's attack. Verse 7 through 10. Paul, in the first six verses, talked about the revelations and visions that God had given to him, even the revelation of, of heaven. In verse 7, he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Interesting. Who's the source of the thorn? Satan. It's clear. Satan must have gone to God and said, hey, can I mess with Paul? And God says, okay, you can mess with Paul. Here's the boundaries. Here's the perimeters. This is what you can do. And you get to give Paul a thorn in the flesh. Now, there's a lot of speculation on what the thorn in the flesh is, but it's very clear to me that something went wrong in Paul's physical body. Something went wrong in his health. He wouldn't say thorn in the flesh if it was some other kind of, of trial. If you've ever gotten a thorn in, in your body, we used to have this bush in our front yard that had some hellish-like thorns. And when you would get those thorns, they were really difficult to, to get out, and they're very, very, very painful. We got that sucker out of the yard. If, if you've got a thorn in you, you're just going to feel it. You're going to feel over and, and over again. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians that our outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed. And this light affliction is working for us a far more exceeding weight and glory. It could be that Paul had personal experience with the body not working the way that it should. So Satan's attacking, Satan's buffeting, and Paul says this thorn was causing him to be in humility. It caused him to have to rely upon God 
in a way that he wouldn't have otherwise. Probably just to even get through the day, he's having to rely upon God's strength. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon you. This is the most polite way to say no that I've ever heard of. Paul asked God three times. He's pleading with God, please. We see many times in the book of Acts that Paul prayed for people and they got healed. You can't tell me that Paul didn't have enough faith. Some teach that if you only have enough faith, God promises to heal. Well, God told Paul no, and the scripture trumps everything else. We get our doctrine from from scripture. It is true that God promises healing. The question is, does it come in this life or the next? Sometimes God chooses to heal in the next. Paul didn't get healed until he went home to be with the Lord. What God did say to Paul is I'm going to give you grace and I'm going to give you strength. My grace is sufficient for you. Unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. The same grace that saves us, God is going to give grace for this thorn in the flesh. That's a great comfort to those of us that have things in our bodies that have gone wrong and live long enough and you'll have something that goes wrong in your body. This this tent is perishing. If the Lord doesn't choose to heal, he's going to give grace that's, that's sufficient for, for us. And he's also going to give strength, and his strength is made perfect in what? In weakness. So God allows Paul to be attacked by Satan, but God's strength wins out. God triumphs. It's actually not a loss for Paul. It's a win for Paul. What could have damaged Paul more than anything else was his pride, but instead through the thorn in the flesh, he has humility, he's weakened, and it causes him to rely upon God's grace. It causes him to rely upon God's strength instead of his own. Now notice Paul's response. It's just mind-blowing. He says, therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'll take the infirmity. I'll take the thorn in the, in the flesh. I'll even brag about it so that I can know the power of Christ. I can depend upon the power of Christ. That God's power would rest upon my life. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproach, in needs, in distress, in persecutions for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God, in his infinite wisdom, could he be allowing Satan to be in heaven? Could he be allowing Satan to attack so that we would be made weak and we would rely upon his strength and we would know Christ in a greater way and he'd be able to use our lives for his glory? I can't fully answer this question of why God allows for there to be the existence of Satan of why God allows Satan to accuse. But I can tell you this from Scripture, from three accounts, God is greater. God is greater. And it's not Satan that gets the glory. We shouldn't read these chapters and go, oh, I can't imagine that Satan gets to be in heaven. Satan gets his can kicked. He gets it handed to him. Michael's like, you're evicted. You're out of here, right? And this is how they overcame 
Satan was through the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony. They didn't love their lives unto the death. So as we wrap this up tonight, Satan attacks and he's allowed to do that. He's allowed to accuse, but God is greater. And through that process, we come to understand Jesus as our sacrificial atonement in a greater way. So Satan's saying all this nasty stuff about us. But then we hear the voice of our Savior. I love you. I died for you. Why do you love me? I'm sinful. I'm wretched. I love you. I died for you. Tonight, as we take the cup, the blood of Jesus, my sins are forgiven. Christ was broken so that I could be made whole. Why does Jesus tell us to do this in remembrance of him often? Because it would be easy for us to believe the lies of the enemy instead of the truth of the blood of Jesus. The accusation of Satan does take us deeper in appreciation for what Christ has done for us. God's using that opposition to grow us in a greater understanding of what Christ has done. We can see biblically from Scripture on three accounts Satan's brought up. Satan's brought up with Job. Satan's brought up with Peter. Satan's brought up with Paul. But what happened with Job? He's like, man, I've only heard about God. Now I've seen him. Doesn't sound like Satan won the victory on that. Peter, Peter's restored. Jesus went to the cross to die for Peter's sin. And Peter goes and strengthens his brethren, strengthens others that have fallen, is able to reach out to those that don't know Christ with this amazing, unconditional love, the grace, grace of God. God is stronger than Satan's attack, than Peter's sin, than Peter's failure. Here's Paul. And Satan's like, I'm going to get Paul. I'm going to give him this thorn in the flesh that's going to do him in. And God uses it in Paul's life to protect him from pride, to get him to rely upon God's strength. We look at Paul's life and we go, how could someone be used so much by the Lord? Could it possibly be because Paul was weak? Because he was weak. And it forced him to rely upon God's strength and to rely upon God's grace. It wasn't that Paul was so strong. It was that Paul was so weak. So for us tonight, we can take great comfort and great hope of going, God, you're God and I'm not. I don't fully understand what Satan's doing in heaven, but I do see from your word that you're greater and that you're stronger. And it takes me into the atoning work of Christ And it takes me in to the understanding that God is stronger. And he's using this opposition in my life to grow me in my relationship with Christ, to see Christ in a greater way. So hopefully that was encouraging for you uh, tonight. And let's enter into the communion table and enjoy the, the victory of the Lamb. So would you stand with me? Jesus, we thank you that you're victorious, that you're the lamb and you're the lion, that you were slain for our sins. We know the voice of the the enemy is real. He's accusing, he is attacking. We come with humility. We we pray for protection from from the enemy. We can't stand. We we need you to, to help us and be our protection. But also, we see how you're greater than the attack of the enemy. And tonight, through the power of the Spirit, as we take communion, 
May we know the sweetness of your forgiveness. May we know, Jesus, that you've paid for our sins, that our sins are buried and we're risenness and newness of life. Would you silence the accusing voice of the enemy through the blood of your son, through the blood of the lamb? And we believe in faith as we've seen with Job and we've seen with Peter and we've seen with Paul that when Satan attacks, you, God, are greater. You're in control. You've allowed it for a purpose. And that you're going to use even the adversity in our lives. So we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.